Today on Reparations in Action. You know, our wealth is always being stolen and it's being looted. So that's why that's what makes that statement, Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, such a dishonest statement. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru, you're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson. White Lies Shattered is a program of reparations in action, exposing the insidious lies that we tell ourselves as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. Today, we are talking about the profound history of African resistance to colonial slavery, with a special emphasis on the highly underrated significance of the African Revolution of Haiti, which won its victory in 1804 and was led by and fought by enslaved African workers who were forced by the European powers and the U.S. to pay billions of dollars of reparations to France for the destruction of what was considered French property. That property, of course, African human beings. Today's episode is called How the Haitian Revolution Changed the World. We were very honored to have a chance to speak with Alikia Ngoma, a member of the African People's Socialist Party and the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper who spoke to us about the profound influence that the Haitian Revolution had on African resistance and anti-colonial struggle around the world. Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and author of the book Overturning the Culture of Violence, also joined the discussion on the significance of the Haitian Revolution. First, we turn to our conversation with Alikia Ngoma of the African People's Socialist Party. Alikia is the Haiti expert of the African People's Socialist Party and the Haiti editor for the Burning Spear newspaper. As the Burning Spear newspaper's Haiti editor, Alikia has written extensively about the Haitian Revolution as what Chairman Amalia Chatella calls the first successful workers' revolution in the world. We asked Alikia to talk to us about the African Revolution of Haiti and its significance historically and today. Uhuru, yes. Um, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, as you said, the... Uh, as you said, Chairman Amalia Chatella refers to the African Revolution of Haiti as the first successful workers' revolution in the world. And that is important because when people talk about workers' revolutions, people always talk about um, uh, Russia or China or Vietnam. Uh, but the first workers' revolution was led by African people. And it was the African Revolution of Haiti. This was the first time that enslaved African people were successful in a revolution to overthrow colonial slavery. Um, that's not to say that African people outside of Haiti were not fighting as well because African people have always been resisting against colonial slavery, but Haiti had the organization that is necessary to lead a revolution. They had the revolutionary leader in the form of Jean-Jacques Dessalines 
And um, it was the biggest threat to capitalism, which in the African People's Socialist Party, we understand, came to existence um, through the process of the genocide of the indigenous peoples of the places we call Americas and the enslavement of African people. And on the question of workers, um, you know, in the party, we say that African people are the true workers of the world because it is, you know, we who create all of the value that exists in the world and, you know, much, most of that value, most of that wealth has been stolen from Africa and African people. So that is um, how we sum up the Haitian revolution or how we say it, the African revolution of Haiti. Turning to more recent events, on July 7th of 2021, Haitian President Jovenel Moise was shot to death in his home by what appear to have been mercenaries, and his wife was critically injured. Since that time, some 28 people have been arrested in connection with the assassination. 15 of these have been Colombian citizens, and two have been U.S. citizens. We asked Alikia to talk to us about the African People's Socialist Party's take on this assassination of Jovenel Moise. Uhuru, up until this point, there has been much confusion um, as far as what really happened, who really did it. For one thing, um, you know, we do have our beliefs that the United States was involved in this for one reason or another, including that, um, you know, Jovenel Moise was highly unpopular amongst the people of Haiti. He has been, his presidency had been protested against since the day he first stepped into office. In fact, he only won 6% of the vote. Um, you know, so he was not someone that the people had ever been a fan of. And ever since he came into, um, into presidency, there has always been protests against him. Most notably, people can point to the protests that took place between 2018, August of 2018, up until February of 2020, which was only stopped by um, the coronavirus or the colonial virus. But from August 2018 and the whole of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, people were still resisting against him. So he gave a lot of problems or you know, it was um, very hard for him to maintain what little power he had, even though he was, um, you know, installed by the United States. So that could be a reason that his presidency just made it too problematic for them to maintain control over Haiti. But I know that our stance is how we should see him because there have been forces in and out of Haiti who have tried to paint him as some type of martyr um, or as as if he was a hero or that we should have sympathy for him. But we don't have any sympathy for any neocolonial forces. He was a representative of white power imperialism extending or continuing its rule on Haiti. And I have written an article that you can find in the Burning Spear newspaper that actually sums up his presidency from the way he got, from when he got into office to the type of stance that he has taken against African people. I've written about him a few times actually for the Burning Spear newspaper that this is not someone that African people should celebrate whatsoever. He was behind a lot of the state-sponsored gangs that are 
plaguing the country right now. He was just an enemy of the people. So that's how we sum him up in the African People's Socialist Party. As a follow-up question, we asked Alikia to compare and contrast the uh, assassination of Jovenel Moise with the removal or the coup waged against uh, the first democratically elected president of Haiti, Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Jean-Bertrand Aristide was the first democratically elected president in Haiti. And he, although he was not a revolutionary, he was, you know, what we would characterize as a progressive force. Um, Some of the things that people uh, would praise him for is including demanding um, retributions from from France, you know, that France pay back the money that they forced Haiti to pay France after the revolution where we overthrew the French. Um, That is one thing. But during this whole period leading up until Jovenel's assassination, a lot of people had tried to compare uh, what was going on in Haiti in terms of the gangs, the kidnappings, and make it comparable to what was taking place when Aristide was in power. But they are completely different situations. You know, the United States formed illegal coups or, you know, coups against Aristide to get rid of him. It was the United States that wanted to get rid of him, um, clearly, like not speculation or anything like that. It was certain that they wanted to get him out of there and, you know, they kidnapped him and dropped him off in Africa. And that even that is a statement as well, that they would drop him off in Africa. Whereas, um, you know, the gangs and, and thing, the kidnapping that was happening under Jovenel, Jovenel was tied to those in terms of like funding them. And of course, Jovenel worked for the United States as well. So I guess on surface level, or maybe not on surface level, they look the same way and people might see, okay, uh, during Aristide's time, there were gangs and murders and stuff like that. And during Jovenel's time, there were gangs and murders again. So uh, perhaps uh, Jovenel is as problematic as Aristide or Aristide was as problematic as Jovenel, but it's not the same thing that we're seeing over. One of them was the United States doing what it could to get rid of a progressive um, again, not revolutionary, but still progressive leader um, and a leader that the people actually wanted there. And the other is um, someone who was trying to maintain his power, even though the people made it clear that they did not want him there and someone who was working for the United States. Itself. In her presentation at a recent Haiti webinar hosted by the African People's Socialist Party and in her article in the Burning Spear, Alikia criticized how the U.S. and European media often refer to Haiti as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. We asked her to talk to us a bit about that characterization. Yes. Yes, it was indeed a criticism because it's not true. Um, One thing that Chairman Omali Ishitela says that I've heard him say um, a lot is that the media has a way of of taking facts and presenting it as the truth, but they're using the facts to cover up the truth. And so to, to say that Haiti is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, 
first of all, they, they say it for any time they're going to talk about Haiti. You know, if they're talking about Jovenel being assassinated, um, it's quite irrelevant if Haiti is the quote unquote poorest country in the Western hemisphere, he was assassinated. That's what you're reporting on. Um, or the question of an earthquake or hurricane, you know, that one may have some other implications in terms of like the lack of infrastructure, but they don't even take the conversation there. They don't say that, you know, uh, natural disasters are so devastating in Haiti because, um, the, the neocolonial powers that work for the United States refuse to build infrastructure and they take the wealth of Haiti making it the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. And so they're going to lose this. They don't say anything like that. Um, they just say it as if it's a part of Haiti's last name. But the truth is, you know, Haiti was forced to pay um, France reparations after the revolution that was won in 1804. And France made Haiti pay this rep reparations because at one time France called Haiti the pearl of the of the Antilles um, because of how much wealth that it was making for you know for France during colonial slavery and of course France um, enslaved other places as well they colonized other places as well but Haiti was you know the real money maker for them and so how do you go from being the pearl of the Antilles which it was never a pearl for us. Um, to being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Well, after the revolution, France demanded that Haiti pay reparations for the loss of their property. And the property that they were talking about was ourselves, our human selves as African people. And, you know, and actually Haiti paid France $90 billion if you had to convert the amount of money that they paid um, to today's gold prices. That's $90 billion with a B. And those payments went on um, until 1947. So that was 122 years. And then there's also um, in 19, from 1915 to 1934, where the United States occupied Haiti. And, you know, um, and in 1947, uh, the United States controlled uh, the Haiti's treasury and took stole every ounce of gold that was there and brought it to New York City within the United States. So there there has always been ongoing theft um, of Haiti. And there is there are other things too uh, when you look at the you know the way the economy was affected by killing off by the United States forcing Haitian farmers to to sell and kill off the indigenous black pigs, the, the black pigs that had been um, a really important part of the economy and actually had been there since the Taino people were on the island as well. Um, you know, giving them like a dollar or, or very minimal amount of money, um, but forcing them to, to kill off the pigs. And there's the question of the, the rice tariff um, that took place under Bill Clinton. Um you know, there's so many attacks that have been made on the economy of Haiti. So it's not just the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's it's a country that is impoverished by the United States, which the media never says. It's a country that is, um, you know, our wealth is always being stolen and it's being looted. So that's what that's what makes 
that statement, Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, such a dishonest statement. And also it's a statement of how, um, you know, when you hear it every single time, uh, it informs you of how you should even think about Haiti. And then for Africans ourselves, especially those of us who are from Haiti, that also is supposed to inform us of how we're supposed to take think about ourselves as well. We asked Alikia to talk to us a bit about that question of reparations as it relates to Haiti and its colonizers, in particular, France and the United States. Yes. Yeah, so the question of reparations, you know, first, when you're looking at the word reparations itself and what it means, it means to repair. And so this is why the African People's Socialist Party and our organizations, you know, is always raising the demand of rep- reparations to African people, because over the past 600 years, living under colonialism and in some places in more recent history, neocolonialism, um, you know, all of everything has been stolen from us in terms of lives and wealth, resources, natural resources, human resources. You can't really actually quantify how much has been stolen from African people. But the point is reparations are due and, and repair. So when you're talking about Haiti and the question of reparations, not only is Haiti um, owed retribution to bring it back to what Jean-Bertrand Aristide demanded that France pays, which is basically pay back the money that you force us to pay you. But Africans in Haiti is due reparations also for colonial slavery, just like Africans around the world are due reparations. But when you look at, you know, the word to repair, how can the enslaver ask the enslaved to repair? Like, you know, the, the enslaver, the enslaved organizes ourselves and overthrows slavery. And the enslaver says, okay, you have to repair, um, you know, the last damages as if slavery was not something that has done more damage than you can ever think of to the enslaved. So, you know, that's how we have to look at understanding the question of reparations as it relates, um, you know, to African people. And then the fact that Haiti was forced to, to pay reparations, that is just, you know, criminal. It's just, you know, it's, it's criminally offensive. On Saturday, August 14th, 2021, Haiti experienced a 7.2 magnitude earthquake. We asked Alikia, first of all, if she could tell us whether her family and loved ones are safe, and to speak to us about what we need to understand about what's happening on the ground in Haiti right now in the wake of this earthquake. Yes, um, thank you. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that my family is is okay. Most of my family is not in that area. They are in Northern Haiti. They felt it themselves. I spoke with my older brother who, um, you know, has faced some damages to his home, but it's not, um, you know, too bad, especially not as bad as people who were in Southern Haiti, um, where the earthquake actually hit, but everybody, um, has felt it. But, you know, in that area, they've been gravely affected by it. Um, the earthquake that hit Haiti on August 14 was a 7.2 magnitude. Um, and the earthquake that hit 
Haiti on January 12, 2010, was a 7.0 magnitude earthquake. So, um, you know, this one was of higher magnitude and it was worse. And at first we were not really getting um, reports of too many high numbers. I think any number of a death is too many, um, not only in general, because you're talking about human, but also because, as I've said earlier, you know, Haiti, Haiti's government, Haiti's neo-colonial you know leaders that are put in place by the united states they do nothing for the people they don't work in the interests of the people whatsoever and so you can't even say they they don't even say okay well we've learned from last time so now we're gonna make sure that we build houses we're gonna have regulations for how houses and schools and hospitals or or things are built nothing is built there are, there's no infrastructure there are like four hospitals in the entire country or a low number like that um and you know the the houses that people are living in cannot um protect the people against these types of things because you can't predict that hurt that an um an earthquake is going to happen but you can make sure that you have a country with the proper infrastructure so that when an earthquake does happen, it's not too um, grave of a, of a devastation that takes place. So the numbers are continuing um, to rise. At one point, it was over 2,000 lives lost and about 50,000 um, people injured and um, you know, hundreds of thousands as far as like buildings that have been damaged. But even yesterday I was reading that those numbers may be severely underestimated, um, that it may be even more that, that, that is being reported just not only based on the, the, the magnitude, but that people are still not finding people yet, or they're still in the process of finding people who are, you know, buried. Some people are coming out alive. Some people are, you know, being found to be dead. So there's no way to actually know what the, what the actual numbers are in terms of how many lives have been lost, um, how many people have been injured. Um, and of course, how many buildings have have come down either? Because those kind uh, that kind of data is not being well tracked. So that is the situation that we have right now. And there is also the question of after the 2010 earthquake, um, so many uh, charities and NGOs started raising resources in the name of Haiti, but it was only to benefit themselves. The most popular case being the Red Cross that raised, you know, like billions of dollars and none of it has gone to Haiti. They only built like six houses and you can't even call those houses. There's the Clinton Foundation as well. And now we're seeing the same thing. I've seen the, the Clinton Foundation talking about Haiti. I've seen the Obama Foundation, which is absolutely no better than the Clinton Foundation. Um, and while people are generally being more wary as far as not donating to the Red Cross or the Clinton Foundation, 
um, there's still so many other NGOs that are, you know, going to be taking advantage of this moment. And just to say in, on the question of NGOs, um, Haiti is, is coin like they call it a capital of NGOs. Um, and it has the number one, most NGOs per capita in the world, as far as a country. And this is the economy, this kind of parasitic economy that has been created in Haiti that was already there, but especially magnified after the, the earthquake that took place in 2010, where people, you know, build an economy for themselves off of propping up an NGO in Haiti and um, NGOs do nothing, you know, they, they serve, they continue to serve imperialism. They don't do anything to undermine um, the social system so that one day NGOs will no longer be necessary. They just make their money off of the backs and the misery of the people of the countries that they were placed in. So that is the situation that we are looking at in this moment. Uhuru. After the Haitian earthquake of 2010, we saw several imperial NGOs or nonprofits from capitalist countries such as the Clinton Foundation and others uh, mishandle funds uh, that were supposed to have gone to African people in Haiti and engage in essentially profiteering at the expense of the misery of African people in Haiti. I asked Alikia to comment on that and to say whether she had any faith in uh, the calls for reform on the part of Haitian officials to, to centralize the process of charitable giving to Africans in Haiti um, and cut back on this profiteering, or if she expects more imperial looting and profiteering in the name of helping African people in Haiti after this most recent earthquake. I'm expecting that. Um, I'm, I'm expecting that. And I also want to, to just kind of press again, because I have seen where people um, have given, have been posting about, okay, don't donate to the Red Cross and don't donate to the Clinton Foundation. And that is um, very true, very correct. But I haven't seen that for Obama Foundation which has now been talking about Haiti. It's the same, it's the same thing. And also just any other organization to just really, really, really do your research. I mean, there are organizations there that are tied to George Soros, you know, so they, there are, are so many, I'm not to say that there, there are zero legitimate uh, organizations because I think of that many, it, it'd be impossible to say there, there are zero, but um you know, to really research who, and at this point, I can't even refer anyone as an illegit uh, as a legitimate organization because they have continued the system over the past ten years. They've figured out how to really hustle. You know, the people of Haiti, some of them being Haiti's own neo-colonial forces. They've learned that as a hustle. So this is the on top of the devastation that comes from the natural disaster, this is the, the second leg of the devastation that we're facing, which is, you know, being taken advantage of this way. Isi, nepotle apale da iti. Mopu mo, yoti Haiti. 
the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Haiti, pays qui pays pauvre. Dans l'Amérique, ça sont les gens qui ont dit tout. Right? The poorest country in the Americas. Kevin Gomesson. That was a section of the song Don't Tell Me Hades Poor, composed by Alikia and Goma. As well as being the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper, Alikia is also a musician, and along with Secretary General of the African Socialist International, Louise Kinshasa, and Chairman Omalia Shatella, she composed the African Nation Fight Song, which is also known as We Are Winning. One of the refrains in this song is a quote from the Haitian Revolutionary General Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Coupe tête, boule kai, or uh, cut heads, Burn Houses is what it translates to from the Haitian Creole. We asked Alikia and Goma to talk to us about why she felt that this quote was important enough to include in the African Nation fight song and what we need to understand about the legacy of Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Yes, coupe tête boule kai. That's my favorite line of the song. <laughs> Uh, when I was when I was writing that song, I felt like it was important for Haiti to have, um, you know, representation in the song. And that's the if you're looking at if someone ever looks at the lyrics of all five verses, that's the only verse that is like about one specific place. Um, the third verse, which is about the you know the African Revolution of IT, and in fact, I wrote that. At first, I wrote it in English. I just wrote that line, you know, cut heads, burn houses. And when the chairman saw it, he was like, whoa. <laughs> and I said, no, you remember, that's the quote uh, from Desaline. It's just is, is that I, I translated. He said, no, say it in Creole. Leave it how it is. And then, you know, I would just create another line to rhyme with it. So I say, we will rejoice when the colonizers die. Um you know, he said, leave it in Creole and we'll just raise the significance of that quote because it's a very non-compromising stance. It's a very clear stance, cut heads, burn houses. That is the clearest direction for the revolution that they were leading um, against, you know, against the French. By the way, I do want to say, I forgot to say this earlier, Haiti has defeated three European superpowers, the Spanish, the British, and the French. And at the time that they defeated the French, the French was the most powerful army in the world. In fact, they still try to teach today that Napoleon had never been defeated, but that's not true. He was defeated by Africans in Haiti. So, you know, we, he thought it was, um, the chairman thought it was important to keep that line in Creole so that we could, um, teach people not only the line, but the significance of the line. And it becomes a slogan just in the revolution that we are trying to build today. And Jean-Jacques Dessalines, as I said, was an uncompromising leader. He was, you know, a, a, a fierce, he, he was born enslaved. And I actually have an article on the Burning Spear newspaper that um, it's a two, it's a two part that compares Toussaint Louverture and Jean-Jacques Dessalines from the conditions they were born in 
all the way to looking at their leadership and even looking at the constitutions that they've both written as well. And has as w- when the party talks about today, as far as the African poor and working class, Jean-Jacques Dessalines was very much from the African poor and working class. And he understood that all of the enslavers had to go, that revolution had to happen, that there was no trying to keep the peace or maintain or create a new system where, you know, um, we both could have power. No, that for African people to be free, the um, colonial slavery had to be overthrown and colonial slavers had, you know, they had to go. And so he was very, he was Toussaint Louverture's, um, you could say like his secretary general, he was second in command and even warned Toussaint Louverture from having a meeting with the French on the boat, which Toussaint didn't listen. And, you know, he was tricked by the French to have a meeting on the boat. And when he got on the boat, they sailed away and took him to France and locked him up in a mountain where he, you know, he froze to death. And they just say he died of pneumonia as if they just skipped everything that I just said that happened before that. Um but, you know, just like this island was no holds bars and he understood that we had to have power over our own lives. And afterwards, after the revolution, he said that any black person anywhere in the world, if you make it to Haiti, you will be free. And he did exactly that. He also sent African people from Haiti to other um, places, neighboring islands um, and, you know, to, to help organize revolutions in those areas as well. So that is who Jean-Jacques de Sanlin was and who we hold up as um, a hero of the African revolution of, of Haiti. And finally, we asked Elikia to talk to us about her article, Lessons from Haiti, or Lessons from Haiti, um, about this May article that she wrote in, in The Burning Spear, uh, titled Translation of African People's Socialist Party Platform to Haitian Creole Advances Unity of the African Nation, in which uh, she talked about the recent publication of the 14-point platform of the African People's Socialist Party, known as What We Want, What We Believe, into Haitian Creole, and the revolutionary character of the Haitian Creole language. Ah, that's a really good question. <laughs> And just to say, at one time, I thought about writing, um, and I still consider it, it's not an urgent thing, but writing something on more on Creole itself, because a lot of, on Haitian Creole itself, because a lot of research has been done on Haitian Creole um, that I think is just very important. But, you know, Haitian Creole, as you said, it, it came, it's a language of resistance. It's a language that the Africans use to communicate with each other um, in organizing the revolution uh, so that the French would not understand. I also mentioned in a previous article, a system called maonage, which comes from the word maon, which is the maroon, um, that Africans in Haiti used as well. And a lot of times people think about uh, the maroons or maon in the physical sense, as in that they hid in the mountains and certain things, but there was a system of hiding um, in plain sight 
with the Africans in Haiti. And they did that with the French language. That is to say, if the French um, enslaver would ask an African a question, they would answer um, even in French, but it would not mean the same thing that the enslaver is ask, is trying to understand. But the African know what they're saying and other Africans knew. But Creole was um, developed into its own its uh, its own language. It has, you know, its own alphabet, um, its own uh, orthography, its grammars, its rules, its regulations. The way we conjugate is completely different. And um, that is to, you know, that's a very empowering thing. And the reason why I found it so important to translate the 14-point platform into Creole was for many reasons. One, 95% of Africans in Haiti only speak Creole, only speak Creole. Don't speak French, don't speak English, don't speak Spanish, only speak Creole. And, um, you know, not, not even speaking Haitian French, which also exists as well, Haitian French. Um, and that's contrary to popular belief. Uh, but two, not many things are translated into Haitian Creole because um, the neocolonialists, they use the population's, um, the fact that the population does not speak French against the population. So that is to say, you can walk into a court hearing and someone is being tried um, and the whole process is happening completely in French and the person has no idea what's being said by anybody all they know at the end of it is that two people walk up to that person and start putting them in, uh, you know, start taking them to prison. And they're just like, what just happened? They don't know. And, or, you know, banks or other institutions, you walk in and they ask you, what do you want? But they say it in French because they know the person won't understand. And so they can't even uh, respond to say what service it is that they need. And, you know, in school, um, a lot of the books are written in French, but the people don't actually speak French. There are some who, who learn French, you know, um, you know, who learn French and are able to understand French. But when they go home, they still exist or outside of the schools, they still exist in a very Creole speaking country. So, you know, math book, science books, textbooks. Even those who say who have a little more advanced education and say, okay, I'm I'm a Marxist or I'm a feminist or whatever other theory that they have adopted, that theory came secondary or it came after they learned a first another language. That is to say, you can't find feminist theory in, in Haitian Creole. You're not gonna find it. You can't find Marxist theory in Haitian Creole. So um for us, for Africans to be able to have African internationalism in Haitian Creole is revolutionary. And also it shows the stance of the party to bring revolutionary into intellectualism directly to the people of Haiti so that they can have this theory they can adopt in their own language for them to understand it. They don't have to go learn English first. Most people are not going to do that. They, they don't have to go learn French first. Most people are not going to do that. But it's written in the language that 95% of 12 million people located on an island speak every single day. So that is the significance of why it was written in Creole and the significance of the Creole language itself.
And we are here today again with Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and author of the book, Overturning the Culture of Violence. Uhuru Chairwoman Penny, what a powerful interview with Alikia and Goma. Yes, Uhuru, Jamie. That was very powerful. And I I also want to salute her presentation at a recent uh, African People's Socialist Party webinar on the situation in Haiti, as well as her lead article in the August 2021 Burning Sphere newspaper called The African Nation Has No Sympathy for Neo-Colonial Puppets, Haiti President Jovenel Moïse Assassinated. Wow, a brilliant article. Just amazing. And she's a regular contributor to the Burning Spear as the Haiti editor. So just uh, really want to salute that and hope we can we can come back and, and have a little bit more discussion with Comrade Alikia um, in our next in our next episode. Yes, indeed. I um I know that she's open to that and we we really Appreciate her for being on White Lives Shattered and look forward to that in a, in a future episode episode coming soon. And I know we uh, definitely want to come back to this question of Haiti, the, the Haitian Revolution. I just wanted to ask if you could give us a, a bit of a, a preview of that future episode, why you think uh, the Haitian Revolution is so significant. Well, I think that, you know, as Comrade Alikia summed up, in the beginning of, of the interview with her, um, you know, she was saying the significance of the, the successful workers and anti-colonial, anti-oppression you know, revolution, the victory of that is um, unprecedented in this world. It's, it's incredible. And so one of the things that we would like to do is, is with Alikia sum up the, first of all, the significance of Haiti's constitution under Jean-Jacques Dessalines after the victory. I mean, an incredibly progressive constitution. This was 1804. And also, I would like to sum up more and go into just the incredible influence that the victory of the African Revolution of Haiti had on enslaved African people throughout the Caribbean, in South America, and in in the U.S. and Canada. Just everywhere, African people were energized and inspired and, you know, just impelled to to resist the colonial slavery and the brutal conditions based on the precedent of this, this amazing victory of the African Revolution of Haiti in 1804. So this this is going to be very, very interesting and important for all of us in the white population who want to see history as it really is and reality of the world, you know, turned right side up under the, the leadership of the African Revolution and Chairman Omali Shetela, African internationalism. You know, we're gonna we're gonna delve into the significance of the African Revolution of Haiti, you know, throughout the Western Hemisphere and the world and the future. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, I am too. You know, one, one of the things that I find so exciting about the, this kind of history that's been suppressed, 
really. We, we don't hear enough about the reality of the Haitian Revolution, like, like much of, of African resistance throughout the history of colonialism. But one of the things I really enjoy are all the uh, fascinating characters like Dessalines, uh, who emerge from this, re- really heroes uh, throughout the Haitian Revolution and throughout the, the Caribbean. Yes, I mean, there is there is a book, and it doesn't go that much into Jean-Jacques Dessalines, but he is in it with a book called The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James. It's a pretty amazing book of the history. I, I just, to me, it was like a novel. I couldn't put it down. It was an amazing, amazing, very well-written um, history of, of the African Revolution, beginning before Toussaint Louverture, actually, um, and other, other African resistance fighters prior to that, leading up to, to the revolution. And the, the class struggles, the, um, the class forces, and the very forces in play, and how African in, enslaved people defeated Napoleon's army, the greatest army, the largest imperialist army that existed, that would be like defeating the U.S. Army today. So, um, you know, it's an incredible history. Wow. Well, please, everyone, stay tuned for more on this heroic history of African resistance, including more on the Haitian Revolution, and hopefully more with Alikia Ngoma, the Haiti expert of the African People's Socialist Party. And I want to thank you, Chairwoman Penny Hess, for joining us again on White Lies Shattered, Reparations in Action. We'll see you next time. See you next time and unity through reparations. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations now! This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's Chairman Omali Yeshitela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>